0: I want the Word of God to be made flesh in us. In the sermon that he told me to switch out instead of the one that I had gotten all together it's called an increase of his government. An increase of his government. He wants to rule and reign. See, what's governing in us? Who's in charge? Who's in charge? Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. I know it's not Christmas, but the Scripture says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government, the government, the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, there will be no end. The increase of his government, you know, we don't like government, especially the direction it's been going the last several years. And there's a rebellion in all of us, you know, like there's a rebellion against authority. And sometimes when the authority especially has not been good, we decide that we're going to ignore authority. And so sometimes that even translates over into our relationship with God. I tell Easy, you look handsome this morning. I like that shirt on you. He goes, it's my Memorial Day shirt. And I go, Memorial Day is not till a week from tomorrow. He goes, I'm getting ready. All the commercials are about Memorial Day sales. I'm ready. And, you know, he used to put the flag out every Memorial Day. And then I think when you get old, it's just so hard to put it in and out, and out. you just leave it out. So we have a flag out all the time in our front yard on our big tree. And Memorial Day is to honor, to take time to remember those who have died serving in the armed forces to protect our country, its freedom, its values, its future. In that scripture in Isaiah, the child and the son that are mentioned in Isaiah grew to be a man, the God-man Jesus, who died for us. Just like we sang, he shed his perfect blood that we might have freedom to protect the kingdom that he established, the values, the future of it. He paid the price that we could not pay. He wiped the slate clean on our behalf. You know that little song, I owed a debt I could not pay, he paid a debt I did not owe. But the verse says the government is where? On his shoulders, We are carrying things on our shoulders we should not be carrying. I felt it. We're supposed to slough it off. Like Court said, shake it off. Slough these things. We're carrying around a self-directed thought pattern that God does not have for us. He says, I will lead you. You will be my people, and I will be your God. You shouldn't be your own God. I will be your God, he says. Are you going to let him? The verse says the government will be upon his shoulders. When we talk about something laid on the shoulders, it describes or connotes something weighty. The language could also though be alluding to the ancient custom of carrying the emblems or the flags or the ensigns of a particular government before a magistrate upon the shoulders of the officers. Upon the shoulders. Regal robes were laid on shoulders. When they set a king in office, his cross, it's worth mentioning today, was laid upon his shoulders, his shoulders. And if it says the increase of his government will have no end, no end, God is not a liar. He's not a man that he can lie. It cannot be overthrown. It cannot be overthrown, but you can decide to come out from under it. See, it won't be overthrown. It's still there, and you can come under anytime you want to, or you can come out. The children of Israel on Passover night, it said, stay in the house, stay inside, put the blood over their doorpost, and don't come out. They wanted to, they could come out. So can you. You can't be overthrown, but you can be outside of it. Now, the word increase, when I read this scripture a few years back, jumped out at me. And I felt the Lord was impressing upon me When we think of the word increase, that means there's more. Now, if I say there's going to be increase in your job, there's going to be increase in your favor, there's going to be increase in your sales, you want it. But if I say there's going to be increase of the government of God in your life, are you content to stop where you are? Or you go, no, there's more of me, God, where you want to rule and reign. There's more of me for you to have. In the Constitution of the United States, and you know, John is not here, he's in Mexico preaching today. John would be the first to say, God is not an American. But because the Constitution mirrored after principles of God, it actually lists the basic functions of government. It says, to form a more perfect union. God wants to have a perfect union with you. He wants you to be so united with Him that when the storms come and the trials come and the diagnosis comes and the job failure comes... You are so united with him, you have a hope and a future because he said it to form a more perfect union, to establish justice, number two. Justice. God is merciful and just at the same time. Not always fair according to the way we think, but he's just. And justice will come. And when people don't do you justice, he says, vengeance is mine. You don't need to get back at them. You can forgive him, you can release him, you can let him go, or else that's going to be another weight on your shoulders. And instead of the government being on his shoulders, the weight is on yours. To ensure domestic tranquility. woo, We could use domestic tranquility in our homes, <laughs> in the country, yes, but even, in, even sometimes just in our own hearts. In our own self, a little domestic tranquility would go a long way. <laughs> to provide for the common defense. I need a defender against the wiles of the enemy because the enemy is strategic, he's mean, he's evil, and he will try to get into the weakest little place that you have. But God says, he is my defender. He is my fortress. He is my shield. In him will I trust. Are you self-directed, self-serve, self-checkout? I got this. To promote the general welfare. He is interested in your welfare. He is interested in your good. There is nothing, you know, people think that I can remember before I was born again and my mother was begging me to come to this meeting where they were talking about Jesus and I thought, I don't need another thing to do. I don't need another thing to do. And I did not understand the concept that anything God wanted me to do was for my benefit. He's not a harsh taskmaster up there just figuring out if I'll do stuff for him. (laughs) He's not like a Pharaoh in Egypt. He's looking out for my welfare. To secure the blessings of liberty, the Constitution says. Any area where we are not fully free, any area where we do not have the mind of Christ, any area where other thoughts other than what the Word of God says about my life, about my family, about my circumstance, I'm not free. And he was to secure the blessings of of being free, of liberty in our life. Every one of these functions applies to our country, but to the church, to the family, and to us as individuals. Psalms 33, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We kept singing, he is the Lord, he is mighty, he is worthy, he is high and lifted up, his name is above every name. We just couldn't get off of it. I mean, if he's on something, he's on it. And if he's on something, I would advise you to get on it. Wherever he is. Now, we've got to make a choice to serve God to qualify for these things I'm talking about. Cammie did a really great job, great sermon about little choices, big impact. But choices can qualify or disqualify you. Your choices are the stepping stone to your future, they're what you stand on in every realm of life. Choices determine the direction of a nation, of a state. Some states seem more like a few more of the principles of God are in in place. Some states, it's like, whoa, godless choices. A church, a family, an individual. But in every area, there's always an authority struggle. And I felt like this morning in worship, God was just displaying it like there's a struggle over your life. There's a struggle. Which side are you on? There's a struggle what you're going to believe. There's a struggle how you're going to think. He doesn't want it to be a struggle. He wants the increase of his government to be so real that he's ruling and reigning and he's got this. You know, a consistent, mature—I was going to talk about maturity, but we're not going to do that today. But the truth is, a consistent, mature Christian life is not about outward manifestations of success. Now, we're not against success. Success is good. Nobody here is pro-failure. (laughs) but how you judge success can be skewed, can be very skewed. Success really is when you are not ruled by the daily temptations of depression, bitterness, apathy, strife, lukewarmness, materialism, rejection, greed, anger, self-pity, ambition, and selfish desires. That's success when you're not ruled by those things. Not when you've got, you know, four Mercedes out there and you've got to decide which one to take to church. I'm not against Mercedes. If you want to give me one, I'll take it. But God doesn't. God wants you to have things, but he doesn't want things to have you. He wants to have you. He wants to have you. He is a jealous God. He is jealous for you. But everything he has for you is good. Is your spirit man ruling in the areas I just said? Rejection, greed, anger, self-pity, ambition, selfish desires, apathy, strife. Who's ruling? Sounds harder than winning a political office, doesn't it? But the choices you make determine whether these things rule you or whether these things are defeated. There's so many things that want to erode the effectiveness of the kingdom of God in your life everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God must, must be cast down forcefully. It's like God came in this morning and he said, look at me, get a picture of me, get a glimpse of me, so that when you walk out and the world brings pressure, you'll have something to look back at. See, because the enemy wants to get our eyes on what he's doing. And, And it becomes so magnified in our sight that that's all we can see and think about and, and bemoan and feel. And then our feelings start to rule us. And what, what God says, you know, we know he says it, but it's just hard to even hear because our feelings are clamoring. Our soul is like an unweaned child within us. And it's so loud. Some of us have loud souls. You know, some people have loud mouths. Some people have loud souls. <laughs> and they might not even be saying it, but they're hearing it on the inside of their head. And that loud soul is running their life. God said our soul is to be like a weaned child within us, not clamoring, not crying out. We're supposed to be spirit led. And then the spirit is in control and then the soul follows and then the body reaps the benefits. But some of us have souls that are in control. And I was going to teach a little bit on my maturity teaching about soul trouble and soul trouble, but I'm not getting to. So I'll move on because God said, do this. But it's a deliberate choice that we must make. You know, Jeremy Hamby, who's pastoring in Dalhart, who was on our preaching team, I love our preaching team. It's the foundation of our church. It's the fact that we have five-fold ministry. That is the the word that God gave me in easy in 1993, five-fold ministry, and we wanted five-fold ministry in-house, and we have it. And we have a worship team. We have a preaching team. We have a prayer team. We have a ministry team. Team ministry is our thing. Transforming lives, training leaders, team ministry. It's what we do. If it's not what you like, this is not the church for you. But Jeremy Hamby was on our team our preaching team. And then he was called to go pastor in Dalhart. He got this amazing word from Sean Bolts about what he was going to do and what he was going to bring to Dalhart. And we ordained him, sent him out to go pastor in Dalhart. But really the, the impetus of all that started in 2014. See, choices you make way ahead of time determine where you end up later down the road. Cuz he told me that where it really all started was on September 17th, 2014, when he and Christy were coming back from a trip to Florida. And he said, we made a choice. We looked at each other, and we decided something. We said, we will no longer be satisfied with the mundane day-to-day existence that the world tries to offer us. We are going to press in for God, and we're not going to go home the same way that we came. I think we ought to say that every Sunday morning before we come to church. (laughs) We're going to press in for God. And we're not going to go home the same way we came. One time I brought some little cards to church and I had numbers on them. And it was like a four, you know, a three, a two. I said, some of us are sitting in the audience. We think like we're judging a a, a gymnastic competition. Four. I like that sermon. I I like the, I like, I liked Cammie. She was funny. Ten. Oh, Lena's too serious. Three. See, we're not here to judge. We're here to receive. Get your receiver open. Know what your job is this morning. God says, receive with meekness the engrafted word that's able to save your soul. He's looking out for you, and you think you're a judge. So Jeremy said that a new spark ignited on the inside of him and Christy, a new determination to go hard after God. They always served God. They were from a long line of pastors. They sang. They had an anointing. Jeremy preached. Christy sang. Jeremy played. Like, everything they did was anointed, but they decided to go another level, to let God govern at another level. And so it positioned them for something that God had for them. Months went by. They stayed in press-in mode. With the passage of time, it's real easy to go, I did good for three weeks. But now, you know, I'm back to how I was. When that thing comes, will you be in position for what God has for you? So it started with making a governing choice about their life, about their life. See, we want an increase in the anointing. We want an increase in maturity, but we also need an increase of his government over us so that he can rule and reign in us. Revelation 17, 14 says, those who are with him, speaking of Jesus, are the called, chosen, and faithful. Somebody once (laughs) said to me, are you with me? Are you against me? You're either for me or against me. Well, I was smart enough to know they were dumb enough to say that to me that I wasn't going to answer that question. And I just stood there and looked at them. But I thought, "No, really I'm with him." And if you're with him, then we're together. <laughs> but if you're not with him, you be where you want to be. I'm staying with him. He would come into a counseling office and a couple and I could see it in their eyes. Who's she for? Is she going to be for me? Or is she going to be for him? Who's she for? Whose side is she on? I'm on the side of truth. (laughs) Whoever wants to go there, (laughs) we're on the same side. (laughs) See, people want to ask the wrong question and they want to trap you into a stupid answer. (laughs) John in Revelation says those who are with him are the called, chosen, and faithful. I want to be with him. Where are you? Are we with him? Or we just want him to be with us? In some churches, church governments, the congregation, and you might think, tell me where that is because I want to go. The congregation is in charge. They vote pastors in and out at their whim. The pastor preaches a sermon they don't like, they call a vote. Or maybe the elders go and go, you know, that little topic you were on, we just really think you ought to lay off on that. There were some men who had a lot of money in our early years. And they go, you know, you keep focusing on young people. We just might have to leave. And he goes, well, feel free to. There's the door. I mean, who are you going to be with? But in other cases, the clergy lords it over the people. And the people are there to serve his ambition and his dreams and his family. And they are the king and queen and the people of the congregation are the subjects. And they're their road to fame and fortune. But in neither case is God ruling. See, God, it's God's church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. See, both of those paradigms elevate man over God. One the congregation, one the, the, the ministers. We are here for you. We are here for you. Don't miss worship. God does things in your heart and worship that you're not going to get from a sermon. I can't tell today what God was doing in the midst, in the atmosphere of the congregation by his spirit. And you're going, well, I didn't feel it. Just stay open. Just have a place of entrance. I can remember when I'd see people raising their hands and crying, and I didn't feel anything. Just keep your heart soft. Sooner or later, the seed will plant. He scatters seeds, and if you have the right kind of soil, it will get in. And so I know you probably liked my two church examples because you, you go, ooh, yeah, I know a church that does that, and I know people who are like that, and I knew some pastors who, ooh, I, oof. but are you elevating man over God? What man? Oh, you to man. <laughs> are you elevating you over God? <laughs> what am I elevating over God? See, our church government is based on a New Testament pattern, that there's a multiplicity of ministry gifts that God sets in the church, and we need the advantage of them all. There's a set man, easy as the set man here, till the day he dies. God told Moses, Moses, set a man among them. You can't have a five-headed monster. (laughs) There's a set man. But you could have plurality of eldership, and you can have differing gifts, and you can be accountable to one another. And see... There's a peer accountability that I believe is safe and sensible and sane. John can have all the revelation he wants, but if he comes up with some stupid idea, Alan and I do not hesitate to mention it. (laughs) And Kirk can teach on the kingdom all day, but if he gets off in an area, he's not a lone ranger. See, there's other people that can speak in his life. Once Sabata and court go off and minister and do the great and mighty crusades that God has spoken of, John and Allen can call and go, hey, you guys. See, we need people that can speak into our lives. My question is, who can speak into yours? Who can speak into yours? See, you can have a worldwide ministry, but somebody ought to be able to speak into your life. And we know a lot of them that nobody could speak into their life. Everybody worked for them. Everybody was on their payroll. Everybody was their underling. And when they went down, a lot of people went down. And it ought not to be so. That is not God's model. The devil targets people in isolation, and you can be isolated even in your leadership with people all around you. We need to submit ourselves in such a way that somebody can tell us the truth. My note said, say it again. We need to submit ourselves in such a way that somebody can tell us the truth. And it's usually not the truth we want to hear. If we're not seeing truth for ourselves, we'll stay blind if nobody else can tell us. If there's nobody we'll listen to, we'll stay blind. Stay blind. You like it? Is that working for you? <laughs> I remember Jen, when Jen goes, I don't see it, Lena, but if you're saying it to me, okay. Like, it was, it was hard for you to see it because when the devil blinds all of us somewhere, we've got to have somebody we can trust that can say, you're not seeing it, but I love you enough that I'm seeing it for you. People go, I've been in counseling, you know, it's non-directive. I'm like, oh, they don't want to tell me what to do. I go, no, they just want to take your money. How much you paying them? I go, because somebody that really loves you, they're like, this is not a good choice. No, don't do this. This is for your harm. This is not what God is wanting for you. See, that non-directive counseling, that you can go for five years and be comfortable in your sin, in your stupidity in your confusion. Your bank account will be less, but nothing will change. Now, I believe when people make a choice to do it God's way, there is an immediate reinforcement that takes place in the spirit. The Bible speaks of gates and walls when it talks about government. I believe gates and walls in our heart can rise or fall. I believe they can open and close based on choices and decisions, our choices, our decisions. In the book of Nehemiah, the nation of Israel made a choice. There was a defining moment that caused a change in their direction. You see, some walls need to be built. You need to build some walls around you to keep stuff from getting in. But then there's other walls you need to take down because that's where you don't even let God in. And God says, I will tear down in order that I may build. So he's going to tear down some walls, but he might build other ones. And you got to let him make the deciding Factor on what should be torn down and what you know you want to keep the wall up that makes you feel protected. You you don't want people to get in there because you were hurt there, and so you want to keep that wall up. And God says, no, that's the one that needs to come down. (laughs) But you also want to seem like the nice person to everyone, so you let everyone come to you and just just vomit all over you. And God says, no, there you need a wall. (laughs) So they said we will rebuild the walls of Jerusalem because that's what God wanted. And in doing so, stability and safety and a promising future. Stability, safety, and a promising future were theirs again. We see a picture in Deuteronomy 3.5 where it talks about cities fortified with great high walls with bars and gates. Next to a great many that were totally unwalled. When we went to Italy, Alan was there with us. We were in a city called Lucca, L-U-C-C-A, and it was a walled city. There were four rings of walls constructed over time. I'm trying to get a visual of it as I'm standing here. It was 2014 when we went, but it was two and a half miles around the city, 39 feet high, 98 feet thick at the base, and 30 feet wide, these walls. They were once used even as a racetrack. Now, the walls never needed to be used for defensive purposes, but they actually protected Luca from the overflow of nearby rivers. Nehemiah personally did not allow the prevailing attitudes of the day to trickle into or to overflow into his mindset or attitude. And see, that's what's happening every day in our life, that the prevailing mindset of the world, the prevailing mindset of the medical community, the prevailing mindset of the powers that be are trying to trickle into us so that we're polluted. We are not thinking like God says to think. And so change happened all around Nehemiah, and the prevailing mindset prevailed, but yet he positioned himself for change to happen in him. And once change happened in him, then he was a change agent for many other people because he led the way. So we need to make a decision who's in charge? Are our feelings in charge? Man, our feelings. Is our disappointment in charge? Is the fact that we're tired of waiting in charge? Brittany. Brianna's right next to you. When she came, the doctors had told her she wasn't going to have a baby. We've got two grown-up kids now graduating from high school and all big and brawny. They were miracle children. She was told, but God said. We were told, but God said. See, maybe you were told, but God said. Who's in charge? Whose words Do we let run through the portals of our mind? I will be your God and you will be my people. Then let me talk. Let me do the talking so then you can walk in the way that I've set for you. And so, Father, today, stand to your feet with me. We come to you humbly and we say that we ask you to write your laws on the tablets of our heart so that, God, we can really submit to you in all our ways. In all our ways, not just some ways. Not just submit because we show up at church. Not just submit because we don't sin that way. Not just submit because we give in the offering. Submit in all our ways. Renew in us a right mind. Bring a right spirit into us. That we can come to you with clean hands and a pure heart. And think your thoughts. That there be no wicked way in us. And wicked ways can just be the way you think. So Father, we submit to you. We yield. We bow before you. We say, you are great. You are greatly to be praised. Nothing is too hard for you. Lord, we have minimized your authority in our life. And we repent for that. We repent for minimizing you. You are high and lifted up. Your train fills the temple. God, just give us a glimpse of you that we can hold on to it change us on the inside, change the way we think. We give you permission to deal with us in any, in every area you want to deal with us. But God, make us be more like you. We want to be more like you. We want you to rule and reign. And you know, when we let that happen, we will get his results. We will see signs, wonders, and miracles. We will be a sign of wonder and a miracle. We will, we, will, we will reap the benefits and the blessings of all that he's promised us. Every prophetic word, like Phil said, will come to pass. He's not been dangling a carrot in front of us just to disappoint us. But there's choices we have along the way. Lord, we want to make right choices so that we can come to the place that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray.